morning. Good to see everybody again. So um, we, if you've been following along in the last few weeks in the series, uh, maybe you're in a small group and you guys are going through the study guides and so forth. We're continuing that today. So it's our Recovering Redemption series. And um, we're just going to continue on. I'll be following along pretty closely to what you should be covering this week in your, in your little guidebooks as you go through in your study books. So hopefully you'll be able to dig a little deeper this week. And I'll just lay the groundwork for that. So really, as we've journeyed so far to this point, we've covered uh, our condition. We kind of started off, we covered our condition before Holy God, a God who made this perfect creation. And we, within the first few minutes, rebelled, decided we could do it our own way and, and disobeyed God. And so that was sort of the, 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 uh, the position we find ourselves in even now. We, we live in a fallen world that's chosen to be separate from God. And then the rest of the entire story is really God's heroic and sacrificial efforts to restore us back to himself. The redemptive process. He wants to redeem us. He will eventually, when it's all said and done, we'll get the, he'll recreate things and we'll have the creation he originally planned, which is perfect. So in the process, he's perfecting us. Eventually the whole, the whole thing. So that's the rest of the story. So as we laid it out through the Recovering Redemption series, we started off in its very vertical relationship thing. It's us and God. It's this way. It's like, where does God stand with us? Where do we stand with God? And how does that look? And what is sin? And what is redemption in that? We've kind of painted that picture. And it was very much this. And last week, Craig sort of started shifting that. He, he talked about our relationship with each other. Now we're talking about within the body of believers. So the followers of Christ. What's our relationship with each other supposed to look like? And last week, he spoke specifically about if we should sin against one of our brothers or sisters or uh, cause them offense, bring them pain or suffering or harm or, or, or something like that, how do we fix that? How do we respond? And what are we supposed to do according to Scripture to take care of that? And the Bible says, first of all, when you do that, really you're sinning against God because whatever you did was outside, the clearly outside the obedient plan of God for your life. And so disobedience is sin. And so really you're sinning against God. So you have to take care of that first. This has to be right or else this will never be right. So then uh, he talked last week about restoration and how we restore ourselves to our brothers. So if you missed last week, you can go online and see that. But I'm going to extend just a little beyond that. We're going to talk about the same types of relationships, relationships among the, uh, the believers. So, but we're going to flip it this week. We're going to say, so suppose you're the, the recipient of the offense. Suppose a brother or sister should sin against you, as the Bible says. If your brother sins against you, how do you how do you respond to that? What are we supposed to be doing and how do we restore that relationship? And then the other thing I'll talk about, which is really very similar, because at the end of the day, all these sins, they, we bring harm and pain and suffering to each other, but the sin is still really against God. So sin is sin. So the other related thing we'll talk about is if, if as a brother or sister in Christ, as a believer or follower of Jesus, if you see another brother that's straying into things that, again, is clearly outside of what God would say is obedient fellowship with him. So they're, they're sinning, and you see, this, you see the fruit of this in their life, and you're saying, man, that, you know that's going to destroy them and bring them harm and suffering. How do you respond to that? And so today's maybe one of the hardest messages I've ever tried to teach on because it's, quite frankly, going to get very uncomfortable as we talk about it. But that's okay. We have to be obedient to the Word of God first set our comforts aside sometimes, and that's what it calls for. So at the end of the day, leading up to this point, here's what we know. Through all of the first several weeks, God loves you. He really, really loves you. 
God has always loved you. He loved you regardless of what you were into or what you weren't into, what you did or didn't do from times past. He loves you today. He loves you immensely today, regardless of what you're into or not into, regardless of how successful you are or whatever failure you're living in. He still loves you the same, and it's infinitely perfect. And he will always love you infinitely perfectly. It doesn't matter. There's, there's nothing you can achieve or no, or no success you can attain that's going to make him love you more. There's no failure or some deep depth you can climb to that will make him love you less. His love is perfect. His grace is perfect. And it's because of that, knowing that he loves us. See, we really have to grasp this or you almost can't. If you don't grasp that, it's very hard to move forward and talk about our relationship with each other because you have nothing to draw on. If you don't get that God loves you perfectly regardless, then you have nothing, you, have, you've received, you haven't received that kind of love and you won't be able to give that kind of love. You ever, if, since we've received that grace, that's why we give the grace. We can't just conjure it up because it's not there. He's the only source of that. And I say that because if you believe God just doesn't really like you very much, if you think he just tolerates you begrudgingly because he's got to keep his own commandments that he wrote in this Bible, then you're going to have a really hard time recognizing that other people don't need to earn your love. Because if you think you have to earn God's love, you have to run around trying to do something to make God love you, then your idea is that other people need to be doing stuff before you can love them. And that's not what God teaches. He says, I love you infinitely perfectly. Therefore, you can love infinitely and perfectly. And no one out there can earn your love. Because guess what? They're always going to let you down. So that's sort of, we have to get that before we can really even really talk about much of the, much of the other stuff. So like I said, it's going to get a, bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable today. So before we dive in, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we'll just start moving in to what we're talking about. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be up here and to speak your word. I pray that your truth goes forth. And I pray that we are brave and bold, and through the Holy Spirit, we receive it and take it in, and it changes who we are. We ask for your love and patience. We ask that you tear down strongholds. We ask that you tear down preconceptions, that we let the, the truth of the word speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we're going to be looking at these two things, how we respond if somebody sins against us and how we would respond if we just see people generally in sin within the body. Um, keep in mind a couple of things. No two people ever, and I mean ever, perceive something the same. So if you see an event or an item or if you have an encounter of some kind, everybody that was involved in that sees it uniquely. And here's why that's important. Um, if you are in conflict in some way with your brother, and it could be something minor, but if, but if there's a conflict, if you're brushing up against and there's tension there, you don't, and, and, you, and you're confronting them, and you say, hey, this is going on. If their story doesn't look exactly like your story, you cannot assume they are being dishonest. You cannot assume that they are simply wrong because they perceive it differently than you perceive it. You know, there's sort of a, uh, a pseudoscience that's developed out of this phenomenon. If you're in law enforcement, you know this well. If you go to a scene of an accident or a scene of some crime, You'll, there, there may be 10 eyewitnesses that saw it. 
Okay, and these are people that are just, they're disengaged. They don't have any idea. They're not part of the problem. They weren't there doing something. They just happened to be there and saw it. So they don't have a they don't have a dog in the hunt per se, right? They have no reason to have an agenda to tell the story one way or another. But when they ask these ten people what happened, all ten stories are different. There was one event. All ten stories are different. Here's why: you perceive everything through the sum of your experiences. You can't think outside of yourself. And everything plays into it. Maybe 10 minutes ago, you had, you had a brush up with somebody and you're all riled and worked up. That changes how you perceive some other event. Or maybe you just got great news and you're elated and that changes how you see it. Maybe you didn't get very much sleep last night. Maybe you did or didn't eat breakfast. Or maybe your breakfast is really rumbling in your stomach and you wish you hadn't eaten it. But all that plays into what, how you perceive events. So we need to give each other a little grace in this department. Because when you're confronting people, their story shouldn't match yours. Because it can't. There's only one author of truth. There's only one place where you can go where they know exactly right what happened, and that's God, your Heavenly Father. He knows the truth. The rest of us are sort of handicapped with ourselves. So we need, we need to remember that. The other thing is this. Um, you can only control you. As much as we wish, you could control how somebody else responds to something. You cannot. You can only control how you respond to something. And so running around trying to fix how someone else responds to something will only make you frustrated and tired because you can't do it. So those are two things we, we have to know up front. And, and I am going to say this as well. Sitting in this room right now, we have, a, we have people at all different levels of spiritual maturity. There are some people here who, because of their time in the faith and the path that God has brought them through, they are much more mature. God has, God has pulled them and taught them more, and God is, has been, he's been sanctifying us all. God's, God's, God's word says he is conforming us to the likeness of his son. That's what he does. He's trying to, trying to make us look like Jesus. Some of us have been molded a little more than others. Some of us on that... Some of us are in the middle of that sanctification where we've, we've really progressed. We may have already worked through a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. And so that maybe isn't a struggle for you. Others of us would say, maybe I'm just an infant or, or God, or I've started to make progress and I kind of stumbled and I started to make progress, whatever. But we're all in different places. And I say that to say this. I won't be able to say today, oh, it's, it's just okay because we all, we all struggle with this. Because we're not all in that same boat. There are some people who, if I were to ask the question and say, hey, over the last six months, how many people would say they had a conflict with a brother or sister, or there was some kind of brush up, or, or they sinned against the brother, or a brother sinned against them, if you want to use that terminology. And some people would actually, and they would be honest and raise their hand and say, you know, David, I really haven't, it's been a long time since I've really had a struggle like that with a brother or sister. I just, I don't get ruffled easily. I tend to overlook those offenses quite easily, and, and, I, and I'm careful to guard myself, and and that's okay. They're not being dishonest. They're not saying, oh, I'm so much better. What they're saying is, isn't it great that God has been able to take me from the terrible place I was and brought me to this new location? And for other people, I would ask that question. You go, yeah, Dave, that's me. I had a blow up with some guy last week. God needs to work on that. He brought it to my attention. I'm working on it. He's bringing me through. But that's, that's where I'm at. So we're at different levels. So I'm not here to, I'm not here to beat up on anybody and say, you're bad. But I also am not going to just say, oh, we're all in this. We all do it because maybe we don't, okay? So, so just know that. And here's the beauty in having people at different levels. If somebody is, if you know somebody that's a more mature Christian in your life, isn't it cool that you can look and say, man, 
God took them from there to there. That means I, I know and I can believe and I can trust he can bring me to that same place. And for those of you that are already in this mature place, and this is not something you struggle with, you should be reaching back and offering assistance and guidance to those that are bringing, that God is bringing up and maturing. See, we both have a part to play. We can look forward with, with anticipation and hope. We believe God can do it because we've seen it in lives. And if you've been there, you can say, I've been there, and I can reach down, and I can offer that to my brother, that guidance and that counseling. So that's kind of some underpinnings that we really have to get through before we dive in. Um, so let me throw out this question then. So if we're believers in Christ, okay, if we're the church, and that's what the church is, it's made up of those who profess to follow Christ, and so Christ has redeemed you, that's the church. If, if, if that's who I'm talking about, why would we have conflict? Why do we have conflict? Why, why is that? I mean, wouldn't, we, we, wouldn't we just all never have conflict? And my answer is this. God has a perfect plan for his church. God has a perfect plan for his people. Sometimes we choose not to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying often, but clearly we don't always execute his plan perfectly. Now, I'm not, I, now I don't want you to do this. Don't get up in the morning and say, well, David said we're going to screw up. I'm just, I know I'm going to screw up today. I know. We, you can't have that attitude. You get up in the morning and you say, Father, I'm going to submit to your Holy Spirit today. I know you're going to, you're going to order my steps and I'm going to walk in your, in your strength. And then you walk it out. But here's what happens. When we look back, guess what we see? We see there were times and we didn't do that perfectly. And we did step in it, right? And we also know that if we look across the breadth of the church, what we see is there are people in conflict. So clearly... We're not always executing it perfectly. Okay, so that's why we have conflict. It's not because we just have personalities. It's just because we're being disobedient to God. And we'll just call it what it is. And he would say that's sin. So, so if, you're, if we're in that boat, and I'm going to say some people are, when we're genuinely offended or sinned against by a brother, how do we respond? That's the big question. And the similar question is, if we see somebody in that path, getting off the path, you know, heading into someplace dangerous, how do we respond to that? So we're going to talk about a couple of things. Talk about our natural responses in the natural. So what would your man, what would your inner man, the part of you that God saved yourself from, right? If you're not following under what the Holy Spirit would have you do, what would be a natural response? This would be what we'd see the world do. This is how the world responds to conflict most of the time. So let me ask you this first. Who, who out here would like to avoid conflict? I know I'm in that category. Yeah. Anybody, anybody say, I'm okay with conflict. I'm really okay with it. I, I don't mind. Because there's, there's actually always a few people that, there, there are a small percentage. The vast majority of people would say, yeah, I don't, I don't really like conflict. I don't want to go there. I really struggle with that. And that's okay. The problem is our response in, in knowing that we don't like it is often that we take the easy way out. So there's a couple of things we do, a couple of major categories. The first major category, and this is the way the world does it, this is not the way the Bible says to do it, so we're going there first, would be avoidance responses. We just avoid conflict. So somebody does something harmful against you, so they're, they're, they've sinned against you, right? We'll use the term the Bible uses. They're sinning against you. Uh, you just want to deny it. That's the first, that's the first, the first kind of avoiding is like, I'm, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. I'll just kind of look the other way and just... So what we do is we tuck it down, we stuff it down, we try to bury it, we try to pretend it didn't happen, put on a happy face. Let's say it's somebody that's in your small group, all right? Uh, and they do something. You just, you let them keep coming and you keep smiling, you keep serving your, 
your sandwiches and doing the thing and you go through it and nobody ever seems to know what happens, but you know, and it's in there kind of festering. So that's, that's denial. It's one of the avoidance responses. Now I'm going to stop right here and interject what our first, what our first absolute immediate response should be according to the spirit. Okay, and I'm interjecting it here because if you're not careful, you can say, well, that looks like avoidance, but it's not. Okay, and that is this. We're supposed to simply overlook the offense. We're supposed to simply not be offended. We just absorb that. It just comes, and here's why we can do that. We talked before, if, we've, if we understand perfect love and perfect grace, then we can extend perfect love, perfect grace. Does that mean you, you, are, you pretend it didn't happen? No, you go, oh yeah, he did that thing. And that, and that probably was not, and that was not ugly. But you know what? I'm going to say, God saved me from a wretched self, and God is correcting him to a wretched self. You know, God is going to grow him up. So I'm not going to take that on and own that like it's personal. And so that's what we should do. Matter of fact, it says this in Proverbs 19.11, says this, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now this is kind of unique. There's not many places in the Bible where it talks about man being glorified. It's to your, it doesn't say it's to God's glory, it's to your glory, it's to his glory to overlook an offense. That's, should, that should be our default. If we're being spirit-led, if we're getting up and we're, we're growing and maturing in Christ and he's, he's conforming us to the likeness of his son, we simply overlook it. We don't pretend it didn't happen. So it's different than avoidance and denial. You say, yeah, I know that happened, but you know what? I'm going to extend grace because God gave me a whole bunch. Okay, so that's that. Now let's go back and talk about the avoidance again. So in the denial situation, what happens is, and denial is like this, you know what happened. You're not really denying. You're denying, you're denying all the out, outward manifestations. But what you do is you write that down, you put it in the bottom drawer of the file cabinet in the back, and you shut it and you just leave it. But we all know it sits there. It just sits there. And pretty soon the Bible says what happens is that turns into a root of bitterness. That's the term the Bible uses. This bitterness begins to build. And here's how you know when, that, when that's, when that's what, it's, what it's festering into. Say, I'm going to use this small group example a lot today because hopefully we're all in small groups and going through this together. If, if somebody in the small group offends you, sins against you, and you're in denial, you say, I just want to deal with that. I'll just pretend it didn't happen. I'll put on my happy face. But deep down, you know this. When they come next week and they said, you know, I was reading this week and I was reading this passage and, and God just, it just exploded to me. God, God revealed this about his nature. He taught me this new thing through this verse. Here's what you're saying in the back of your head. No way, brother. I know what you did. You know what you did. I'm not going to receive that. Who are you to talk about what God could reveal? See, that's a root of bitterness in you. That's not their problem. That's your problem. And Hebrews chapter 12 says this about a, bit, uh, a root of bitterness. It says, uh, it will destroy you. And it will destroy those around you. So if you're going to be someone that tries to do this denial process and just pretend it's not there, but let it fester and boil up, you're not just going to take yourself down. You're going to take down those around you. And that's usually the ones you love most because that's who you hang with. So don't be found in this place where you're denying it rather than overlooking it and extending grace because that's not the response the Bible talks about. Now, there's another type of avoidance as well. The other type is you just flee the scene. You take flight. So those in your study guides, uh, he'll call them flighters. Those people are flighters. I don't think that's a word. But... Um, so they flee the scene. They just, they just distance themselves from it. They don't deny it so much. They just say, I don't want to deal with it, and this is how I don't deal with it. I'll just put some dishes. I don't have to deal with it. 
And so eventually, these people can, I mean, it can be very intense. These are people that, they could leave the church over that in, in order to try to get away from conflict. They could leave their small group, go to another small group. They could get another job. It could be in their life. They could get a divorce and try to move on to another wife. Because I just avoid conflict by getting away. I'm a runner away. And see, the problem is you're always hoping to arrive somewhere where it's done perfectly. And here's the problem with that logic. If there were, and it's hypothetical, if there were a place where it's done perfectly and you're running away doing it imperfectly, the minute you arrive, they're not all doing it perfectly because one guy just showed up that's not, and it's you. So no matter, you can't run from yourself. If you're, if you're, if you're responding in a way that's different than the way God says, you can't run to some place where it's going to be, you know, Shangri-La, some utopia, because when you get there, it's corrupt. So see, that doesn't work either. So that's, that's our, that's our avoidance responses, and neither of those are biblical, because they're not absorbing and they're not overlooking. So there's another type. When I said, when I said, let's raise our hands, who wants to avoid conflict, or who, who's okay with conflict? I got a couple of hands. I'm not going to point to you. There's a couple of hands, and these are the people that we would call aggressors. Now, if, if that's you, I'm not saying you're ugly like this, but the, the risk is this, if that's your response. Aggressors are the people that are the Bible thumpers. That's the ones, they know their scripture, but they got special highlights for the ones they can jab you with. See, they're the ones, they're the ones that are like, I just dare somebody sin against me because I got a word for the Lord for them, right? We've all, I mean, they got the cross necklace and the bumper sticker. You know, they know their word, but they're, but see, they do this. They understand that God says, vengeance is mine, saith, saith the Lord. But, but when it comes to vengeance, they look at God and say, that's eh, okay, God, take a break. I got this one right? That's, that's their response. See, they're all about justice. They want, to be, they want to be the tool God uses to mete out his justice. Like they could be more just than God. The problem is they don't want justice for themselves. See, I want, I want mercy for me, but, but man, when it's someone else, I want to be all about the justice, but I, want, but I want mercy for me. See, so that response is equally broken compared to the biblical response. And we'll get into the details of that biblical response as we go on. Um, see, aggressor, aggressors, they intimidate. They bully. And, and that is clearly not a biblical response. So what is? What is the biblical response? And our, our primary text today will be Matthew chapter 18. But before we go there, because if you, because it's a process, it's like a policy. I mean, it's a clear delineation of steps that should be taken in these circumstances. But before we go there, I, what I want to do is I want to be careful we don't read that in a vacuum. You can read that in a vacuum and you can club people with it. What we do is we look at the, we look at the entirety of Scripture and we look at the heart and the attitude of, those, of these people that we're supposed to be as followers. And it's through this correct attitude and heart that we can apply the process. And the process is really this. It's love. It's always about love. If it's not about love, then you're doing it wrong every time. Ephesians 4.15 says this, rather speaking the truth in love, speak the truth, so I'm not saying we're avoiding truth, but you do it in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Isn't it interesting that when we speak the truth to someone else in love, who does the growing up? We do. In speaking the truth in love, we mature in Christ. Now, we might be helping them mature, but the passage says we are to grow up in every way. 
unto him, Christ, who's the head. It's the perfect picture of real love. It's not the way the world does it. Let me give you an example. I'm stealing this example right out of the book because there's not a better example. So it's kind of funny. So if you see it later, don't think, oh, David, you stole it. I'm confessing right now, I stole it. Um, if you're a parent, so you're a dad, and your eight-year-old is out playing in the street. You live on a busy thoroughfare. There's cars zipping up and down. He's out there playing to it. And you're with your friend. He says, hey, man, Billy, Billy's on the road, man. Now, here's avoidance. Oh, God, come on. He loves doing that. He just likes to do that. Oh, he'll, he'll be all right. That'll work out. Now, would that be, that'd be terrible parenting? You'd be a, her, a horrific parent if that was your response. Now, that's, that's the denier. Uh, the, fl the flighter, the guy who flees the scene, he just goes to the backyard. You know, I can't see it. Yeah. Right? That'd be terrible. Now, the aggressor, on the other hand, what he does, he picks up the baseball bat, goes out on the road and goes, BAM! I told you not to play in the street. Now, you know, they'd be calling the cops on that guy. I mean, that, nobody thinks that's good parenting. But, but if we do that to people who are either sinning against us, because remember, all sin is against God. So if, they're, if it's an offense against us, it's still sin. But if they're also wandering into somewhere that's dangerous and harmful for their spiritual life, that's sin. We don't go beat them up and club them. And you also don't ignore it and let them get run over. What we do is we speak truth and love. So here's what you do. You go, Billy, Billy, get out of the, come here. What do you, come over here. And you go out there to the edge of the street and you say, listen, daddy told you not to play in the street. Now, let me explain to you why we don't, we don't play in the street. Come over here. See this cat? See, see how his guts are pouring out of his, just falling out of his chest? Yeah. See, see the blood coming out of his face? Yeah. Do you want to be laying here with your guts hanging out in your face all bloody? No, I didn't think so. That's why dad, daddy loves you. I don't want to see you like that either. Go in the house. Quit playing in the street. Now, I know that sounds harsh, you know. Maybe that kid's going to need therapy. That's fine. We got two counselors on staff today. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> No, but, but, but that's the truth. You don't, you don't shy, you don't be afraid to tell them the harm and the danger of what they're in because you'd be uncomfortable or because it would be too graphic. They need to know that. See, speaking in love is this. I love you too much to let you stand there and get run over in your ignorance. Even though you've been told, don't play in the street. I'm going to keep telling you because I love you too much to let that happen. I love you too much to let you get, harm yourself in some way that has eternal consequences. That is what speaking the truth in love is about. Cheap love, on the other hand, just avoids. I, it's, I, I can't, it's just sounds you uncomfortable. Or they go punish them. I'll just beat you up, man. Can't believe you're doing that. Like you're, like you're so perfect. No, it's truth and love. Now, here's what Jesus said. This is not going to be on your screen, but this is uh, John chapter 13. A new commandment. This is Jesus' words. A new commandment I give you. He's not saying I throw away the old one. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a new one. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. That's a tall order. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. We're supposed to love how? The way Jesus loved. Can you show me one example anywhere where Jesus used avoidance responses when people were in sin? He just denied, ah, I just did that. Or he ran, ran, ran away. He confronted sin. Now, did he beat people up? I think he told the woman at the well, who was the, or, uh, he told the adulterous woman, he didn't beat her up. He says, he says, I forgive you, and now stop it. See, the truth is, that's sin, stop it but I love you and forgive you. 
He didn't beat him up and he wasn't in a void. As a matter of fact, as I recall, Jesus was beat and pummeled so severely that by, according to medical science standards, he should have been dead. And then they give him the instrument of his own death to carry to the very place where they would use the instrument of his own death to murder him. And what did he say in all that? I love you. Forgive them, Lord. Mercy. I give them mercy. You, I promise you, you will never be sinned against or offended nearly as badly as Jesus was that day by the Romans. And yet he extended grace and mercy. That's what we're talking about when we talk about love, 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 perfect love. Speaking truth in love, Jesus never shied away from the truth, but he never did it outside of love. So, that's our, that's our attitude. That's our heart we have to take into the rest of this discussion. So now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. And this reads like a policy, man. This reads like, you could, like, a, like a corporate guideline. This is the process we take when this happens. And, I mean, because it's very, very clear. And we can't shy away from it just because it's hard, and it is. So let's go to that. Starting in verse 15 of Matthew 18, it says this. This is Jesus talking. This isn't somebody that's maybe got it wrong or maybe didn't hear it right. This is Jesus' words, okay? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So there's like three parts of this I'm going to talk about. First of all, if your brother sins against you, don't deny it. Don't, don't run away from it. Don't go beat him up about it. Go and tell him about it. But we've already laid out the foundation of it's got to be in love. If you're not speaking the truth in love, you're not speaking the truth the way God wants you to speak it. It may not even be truth. It's got to be with love. And then it says, do it alone. You don't need to air their dirty laundry or make a big scene. You certainly don't go gossip with your friends about it. Talk behind his back. Start thinking ill of him. You go to your brother or sister. I'm going to say brother, but I mean sisters. We're all, we're all in this together for that. Okay? And, and, and what's the goal? What's the goal? What does it say you gain? You gain your brother back. You don't get to say, I'm right, you are wrong. Boy, you're, you got yourself cleaned up as good as I am. That, no, you're, gaining, you're regaining fellowship. You're restoring him back to fellowship with the other believers, with yourself. That's beautiful. That's, what we're, that's the goal of doing this. So go one-on-one. Tell him. Do it in love. Give him a chance to respond. And then Jesus goes on. He says, but if he does not listen, Take one or two others along with you, and every, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is not ganging up on somebody. Don't go and find some people that will take your side. That's not what it's saying. Here's what you do. If you, go to a, if you think you're seeing this kind of bad fruit, whether it's an offense against you or you just see them wandering in areas that you know are destructive, you go to them, right, and you, and you say, hey, I think I see this in your life, man. Now, they may say, dude, back off. You, you just got to deal with me. You have some kind of, you got it against me or something. You're always picking at me. I don't know why. So what you do then is you go to a brother or two and you say, look, is it just me? Yeah. I mean, do, is, am I wrong here? Or do you guys see this? And, and these brothers, so you don't go, don't lead the witness. Hey, this guy's doing this, right? No, just say, man, I, I could be wrong. And then, they'll, and then if they say, yeah, you know, we've seen that in too. We see the same fruit you see. And then you say, well, we have to go because he thinks it's just me. He thinks I just got an attitude issue. You know, 
Again, what are you saying? I love you too much to let you stay there and drown and burn and suffer. That's what we're doing. So then you go as a group and you don't beat them up. You do the same kind of offer. Brother, we love you. This is not about we're right, you're wrong. This is about, man, God's got a better plan than that for you. That's outside of his plan. And then Jesus goes on. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is the hard part. This is the part we really don't want to read. We don't want to know this part because it's the hard part. And that is this. So, and, and I don't know that that necessarily means you got to bring him right up here and stand before the whole body, the whole assembly, and count out what you think he's done wrong and let him confess or, 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 or be cast out. I think it means this. If you're in a small group, for instance, and one of the members of your small group is who we're talking about. And you've gone, you're in the group, you saw it, you approached him first, no, he says, that. Ah, back off. You go with a couple of people, and he says, you people are nuts, I have no interest in changing what I'm doing, whatever. Maybe it's, it's you get a whole, you, you, you involve a pastor or elder, or more than one pastor or elder, and the rest of the small group, representing the church, not necessarily bring them up in public and, and do... And do, you know, we're going to air your laundry for the 7 o'clock news. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bring some church authority into it. And if he still won't relent, he still won't agree that there's something that needs, that God needs to pull him out of, treat him like a Gentile tax collector. Now, to you and I, that doesn't mean much. In that day, you did not, you did not fellowship with tax collectors and Gentiles. Now, Jesus was teaching a new teaching. Don't, don't get off track here. It was a, he was using this as a, as, a, as a literary tool, okay? You break fellowship with him. And that sounds ugly, but that's what he's talking about here. You break fellowship. You say, you're, we just can't have you to continue to come in because that root of bitterness, it's going to destroy you and those around you. We're not going to let you destroy other people in this church because you're refusing godly counsel. And so you break fellowship with them. And that sounds hard, but we answer, we, your feelings can't be what controls you. When the scripture's clear, the scripture's clear. We answer to that, we answer to that calling much more than to each other, or we're comfortable, or well, that just doesn't seem, doesn't seem fair. Because the truth is this, the wolves don't get to hang with the sheep. You can't let the wolves hang with the sheep because they start eating the sheep. You take yourself down and those around you. So we do that. Now, do we do that at Life Church? Is that our, is that our, our stance? Because I'm on, I'm on the, the leadership board. Yes, we do. That's our, that's our stance. Have we done this? Yes, we have. And I'm, I'm telling you from personal experience, we lamented. We wept. We cried. We prayed up fervent prayers. We, it was a long process. We cried over this, brother. It was like, no way. We can't. But at the end of the day, you can't overlook what Jesus said. You can't just cast aside because you're uncomfortable with it. One day I will stand before my God and he's going to say, why did you, why did you think you knew better than me? Now, I mean, I'm not talking a salvation issue, but man, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear those words. You don't want to hear those words. We all bear the same responsibility and it's the way Jesus laid it out. This is not me talking. Well, it's me talking, but yeah. Let me coat that. Let me smooth that over a little bit. I don't want to smooth it like that, but I want you to understand a couple of things. Don't go to a brother or sister unless you are certain 
that you've looked at scripture, spent time in prayer, maybe even sought counsel with someone else that you're seeing the fruit you think you're seeing and that it's clearly outside of what scripture would say is obedient behavior. If it's behavior that's clearly outside of that, move in all confidence, prayed up in love. But don't do this willy-nilly. Don't start keeping a record and just firing at will. That'll destroy you and other people. And God will not want that and so we can't have that attitude at all. And here's the other thing. If we're going to be open and honest enough and brave enough to go to a brother that we see floundering in something, if you're going to be that person and say, you know what, I'm going to be obedient and do that, then you also must be brave and open enough to receive it if somebody comes to you and says, David, I, I'm not completely sure, but it looks like there's this fruit in your life that doesn't look very good. I'm not sure God's going to be pleased with that. And let's talk about it. Now, sometimes they'll come to you and you'll, and you'll explain it and go, it's this, this, this. And sometimes you'll go to a brother and they'll say, oh, I know it looks like that, but it's this. And you can, you can discern that and pray about it. But if somebody comes to me like that, I have to be willing to receive that and then be able to go. And I would go and check that. I would go check with some other brothers that I trust and say, hey, is that in me? Is that, do you see that in me? Because if you see that in me, I'm going to put it to death. Because if not, it'll put me to death. I will kill it. If there's sin in there that I didn't see, I'm going to kill it. And so we have to be open to do that. Now, here's the, hard, here's the harder part of that. We will readily do that if it's somebody coming to you that you admire and you think is spiritually mature and maybe he's in your circle and maybe he was a mentor to you and they come to you, you're going to, yeah, I'll receive that. What if God sends somebody that you know has struggled with other things in their life to you to tell you, hey, God's not pleased with this in your life? You don't want to have this attitude, hey, whoa, wait a minute, I know, I know what's going on in your life. What are you talking to me about? You, you don't want to go there. See, then you're in denial of your own. You're avoiding your own sin. Somebody should bring that. Openness goes both ways. And we've used this, this phrase throughout the series, and I'm going to use it again because it's, it's, it's perfect. If we can be fully known, not hiding anything, fully known and yet not judged, that is the kind of freedom that only comes from your Heavenly Father. And we can have that with each other, but it takes work, and we have to go through these processes. We have to be willing to check each other, check ourselves. But if it's without love, it itself is sin. Do not go without love and start oppressing people and holding them to some uh, ridiculous standard that's not in love because you will be guilty then. You'll be the trespasser in that case. So don't do that. And I'm going to leave you with this. We're going to re I'm going to read what love is. So take this to heart because if this is, if you apply what love is to all these processes, you'll always do it right. If you're in prayer under the Holy Spirit and using this as your picture, you'll always get it right. And that's this. This is 1 Corinthians 13. We've all heard it probably a bunch of times. Starting in verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. It's not about me. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. You've you got to burn the file. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always persevere. That's godly love. Worldly love will close everything off, and we'll all have to run away from each other. We'll never share anything. We will, we will destroy ourselves because of our inability to both share and receive uh, a godly correction. 
Godly love says, I cannot and I will not stand by and let the devil divide us and let the devil destroy you. I won't stand here and let it happen. I will move. Even if it costs me my relationship with you, your soul is more important. That's what godly love would say. And the more we do that, the more we own our own shortcomings and the more we can, in love, help others to stay on the path and stay in the fold, the more we can correct and love each other and keep ourselves under what God's obedience looks like, then the more we are the church. Because God, Jesus said that when they see in here and see how much we love each other, then they'll say, that's an amazing God that would make those people love each other that much because they know how people are. And that's what it's all about, glorifying God by loving each other. Let's pray. Father, we so much want to be the follower that you've called us to be. We so much want to have relationships with each other the way you designed them to be, a picture of how you have a relationship with us. Father, let us get past ourselves and move past ourselves so that we can see with clear vision. Father, keep us humble. But Lord, let us be brave and bold and love each other enough to keep each other safe in the faith. I pray that your word goes forth. I pray that this week we begin to open up and express our love for each other, not just through conflict, but the ability to open up and say, man, I've screwed up. Help me walk through this. Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. And we know that all this changing and conforming us to look like Jesus just makes you look glorious to the world. And that's what we want. We ask this through the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.